Well, good morning, everyone. We are so excited to be continuing our Scripture Talk series, Sacred Reflections, where we have been walking through the Sermon on the Mount slowly. And believe it or not, this is actually part 18. And so we are so excited to be continuing that. And we've been taking time every week to internalize, to listen, to study um, of Matthew chapter five, all the way to chapter seven, in hopes that we will become more like Jesus and actually be sacred reflections of his goodness in the world around us. And so up until this point, Jesus has been challenging the crowds that he was first talking to and us today to live in a counter cultural way that when the world tells you to seek revenge on the people that have wronged you, that we seek generosity and love. Love. When the world tells you to seek recognition, that he challenges us to check our heart posture and to make our life glorify him instead of ourselves. And the list can go on and on and on about all the things that we have been carrying with us throughout this series. But he's constantly communicating to us, and I hope that this has resonated with you, what it means not only to be a follower on the outside, but to be a follower of Jesus on the inside. And so believe it or not, this morning, um, it's not the last week of our series but Jesus here is going to start concluding the Sermon on the Mount. He's going to start wrapping it up and summarizing it. And so before we get to that, we're going to be looking at our passage to ponder, which is found a few verses earlier in um, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five. And this is where Jesus says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, as Pastor Dave talked about last week, this means what Jesus is saying here is that there needed to be a new approach to living, a new approach to following Jesus. The religious leaders, the teachers of the laws, the Pharisees, they knew the Bible inside and out, backwards and forwards. They would have had it memorized and they were doing everything that they could to follow the Bible for what it said, for what it asked. But in the process, they ended up focusing on the wrong things, on emphasizing the wrong things. And so they cared about how they looked, checking off the boxes of the rules, how other people viewed them. But as we've been learning and talking about, following Jesus is much more holistic than that. That it has to encompass everything about us, including your heart posture, your mind, your actions, how you are not only at church, but at work and with your families, that it has to permeate every single part of you. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount has been talking about. And so this morning, we're going to look at this idea of being narrow way people. And so Jesus, as I said earlier, starts concluding the Sermon on the Mount by giving the disciples and the crowds and all that are listening four basic warnings. And so we're going to talk about the first one this morning, but he gives us four basic warnings as he ends up um, summing up the Sermon on the Mount. And so they have to choose between two gates or two roads two kinds of prophets, two kinds of disciples, and then two kinds of foundations that we have to choose out of those. This is how he's done a wrap up to say that you're either with Jesus or you're against him when there is really no in, bet in between. And so this morning, let's read our passage. It's from Matthew chapter seven, verses 13 and 14. And it says, enter by the narrow gate. So Jesus is really clear right off the bat. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are, are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are very few. And so Jesus is taking everything that he's been teaching us so far. And he's going to make it really applicable. He's calling everyone who listens, us right now in this moment, and those who first would have heard it, to choose which path you're going to take. 
Are you going to take the wide and easy road or the narrow and difficult one? And he spent the last two chapters really detailing what each of these roads entails. And now he's going to make it really evident. And you'll notice here, there's only two paths. There's not an option C. There's not a plan B. There is really only the narrow and difficult and the wide and easy. And this is not a brand new idea to just Jesus. Psalm chapter one actually describes two different paths as well. There is the path of the wicked that leads to destruction. And then there's the path of the righteous that leads to life. And then all throughout Proverbs, there again is two different roads, that of the wise and that of the foolish. And then all throughout the New Testament, there is the, the more roads about being in the dark or being in the light. And so there are only two options. And so all throughout the Bible, there is this challenge, especially for us today, to wrestle with this question. What path are you going to choose? And even further, if we're going to add to that, what is each path going to cost you? And so this morning, we have three points of consideration to help us understand what Jesus is trying to say here. And so the first one is that the majority is not always right. If you're a parent, um, you must have had this conversation with your kids before, but Jesus is telling us right at the beginning of this text that there are two different kinds, as we've talked about, the narrow and the wide. And everyone begins on the wide path. It is the most socially acceptable one. It's popular because there's really, doesn't require any sacrifice or any intentionality at all, that it's kind of the go with the flow path. And if you're never intentional about getting off the wide path that's easy and leads to destruction, you're not going to get off of it. You have to be intentional. And so that this is where the wide path, as Jesus said, this is where the majority of people are going to land that most people are going to be on the wide road. Now, it's important here, as we've mentioned earlier, that this wide and easy path that Jesus describes is not necessarily a good one. It may seem easy for a while. It might even be fun for a bit. But he explains that later on, it leads to destruction. Now, as a kid, I don't know about you, but I would hear this phrase a lot. Well, if your friends were going to jump off a bridge, would you do it also? I don't know if that sounds familiar to you, but it's that whole premise and that whole idea is what Jesus is saying here, that just because everyone else is doing it is not proof that they are doing it right or even beneficial or that it's even healthy for you. That we can't judge what spiritual standards we are held to by looking at statistics of what the majority is doing. That if we looked at the majority is doing, we have to realize as we're talking about this morning that they are not always right. Now, this can be really difficult in the culture that we are living in. We live in a cancel culture. And we've talked about this before. It's this idea that if you don't follow the crowd, if you don't agree with what the masses are saying, then you will be canceled, ostracized, pushed to the side, that you can't have a voice, that there is really no ability anymore to disagree with people or to swim upstream opposite of what the crowds are doing. People don't want to be challenged or convicted. And so instead of actually dealing with their own emotions, they cancel the person that made them feel a specific type of way. And so in essence, this wide and easy road that we're talking about is one of tolerance, where there's no restrictions, there's no conviction, and there's no parameters that you can kind of do whatever you want on this wide and easy road, where everyone is just feeling good and going about their lives. And there was a commentary on this passage that said it's very difficult to just wander off of this path. 
that this is the one you start on and it's really easy to just go through life walking on it. And so the sad truth is, and what Jesus is talking about here is that many people who trust Jesus never leave the broad and easy road, that they have an easy Christianity that makes no demands of them. It doesn't cost them anything to live out. And we, John Stott writes that the gate leading to the easy way is wide for it is a simple matter to get on the easy road. There is evidently no limit to the luggage that we can take with us. We need to leave nothing behind, not even our sins, our self-righteousness, or our pride. And yet what Jesus is calling out in those that follow him, us today, is this truth that the majority is not the compass to how we live our lives. That the people that you see around you are not the compass for how you're supposed to treat the people around you, talk about the people around you. That that is not the compass, that it's really what Jesus is talking about is God and his word himself are our compasses. And that's what he's been describing all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, that we can't be focused on what other people think of us, that we can't look around and say, oh, because they're doing it, I'm going to do it too. That it has to be, what does the word of God say? What does God call me to do? And in Exodus chapter 23, verse two, it challenges us when it says, you must not follow the crowds in doing wrong. It's pretty plain, plainly said right there that the crowd is going to do things that inherently are wrong sometimes. And it is our job as Christians to not follow. And we're going to talk about what that looks like in a few minutes. But a great example of this in the Bible is in Numbers chapter 13, where we find the Israelites. They have just come to the border of Canaan, which is the promised land, the land that God had given them years before. And it's now two years since they've left Egypt, all the plagues, the Red Sea parting, all that was two years ago. And now they are standing at the border of Canaan. And God told them to go in and possess this land. And so the Israelites sent 12 spies, one for each tribe of Israel, to go and survey the land. They all go in, all 12 um, are scouring around. They come back and they say, yeah, it's indeed a wonderful land. We could live there. But 10 of them, they say, but there are huge giants there and we cannot conquer them. It's a great land, but unfortunately, you know, we aren't going to be able to go in. We can't, we can't do it. But two of them, Caleb and Joshua, they replied saying, but the Lord will help us conquer those big giants. When everyone else was saying, yeah, it's a great place, but we can't go there. There's barriers in the way. There are things that are going to be difficult. You had Caleb and Joshua saying, hold on a second. We have a God with us that can conquer that, that we can do it. And, but unfortunately, the 600,000 Israelites listen to what the majority were saying. The Caleb and Joshua were right in the way that they had seen God's faithful action. They had seen all the things that he had done for them and the Israelites up until this point, that they believed God at his word and by his actions. But yet the majority didn't want to put anything on the line. They were scared and they wanted to sit in that. They wanted to say, you know what? That would be hard. And we don't really know if we can do it. So we're just going to stay back here. And it was the majority that won. And so in this case, because they followed the majority and because they didn't want to enter this land, the Israelites were sentenced to wandering around the desert, wandering around the wilderness for 40 years until eventually Joshua, remember Joshua, he was one of the ones not in the majority 
until he became the leader of the Israelites and then they entered into the promised land. And the only two people from that entire generation to see what God had promised were Caleb and Joshua, the only two who chose the narrow gate. To, to not follow the majority, to not walk the wide and easy road. And so first this morning, the majority is not always right. And secondly, Jesus challenges us to short-term sacrifice for long-term payoff. So we just took a second and we stopped and we evaluated this wide and easy road that we can so unintentionally walk our entire lives. It doesn't cost us anything. But let's turn our attention to the more narrow and difficult gate that Jesus talks about. He says, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. And so the narrow gate, unlike the wide gate, is unpopular. It's hard to find and it has to be chosen intentionally. That there has to be a willingness, if we're going to follow Jesus, to leave some things behind, including the need to be liked, to be recognized, all of those things, and to fight against the urge, not only once in our life, but every single day and every single moment to walk against the grain and give up things for the gospel, to live a life worthy of the calling that we have been given. Now, later in Matthew, Jesus says, it says, the, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This was not an easy task to do. Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, it's going to take some sacrifice. It's going to take, um, cost you something. And so Jesus is calling for a short-term sacrifice in this life to turn and walk in this narrow path in order to experience eternity of enjoyment later on. But he also gives us this spoiler. He gives us this spoiler and basically tells us that this path is not popular and that most people will not choose this route that people are too nearsighted to see past the sacrifice portion now, that they can't see that if I just do, if I walk the hard and narrow path here, then I will experience life for eternity. But they can't see past the difficult cost that it may have now. And the interesting thing is that most of us can understand this in a very practical sense. So in terms of finances, I understand that every single month, if I make the sacrifice to put away a little bit of money into my savings account, then later on, whether it is for a bigger purchase or when I'm retiring, then I can get the payoff of that monthly sacrifice that I made um, every month. Another, so people understand it in that sense. Another example is there was this trend on TikTok. If you don't know what TikTok is, it is a social media platform. Ask someone under 30, they are sure to tell you. Uh, but there was this trend where parents would sit their toddler at a kitchen table or at a bar stool or anything like that. And they would put some candies right in front of them. And they would say, hold on, I'm going to be right back. I'm just going to go to the washroom or I'm going to leave the room. And I don't want you to eat these candies. I'm going to put them here. I don't want you to touch them. But when I come back, you can eat them and I might give you more. Okay, that was the trend. So little did the kids know they were being filmed for this. Parents wanted to see how obedient they would be. But it should not surprise you, as it does not surprise me, I was in kids ministry for many years, that a majority of the, of the kids would either blatantly eat all of the candy while their parents were not in the room, or they would maybe suck on the candy so that they could say, well, I didn't eat it. So all that to say 
these kids are doing exactly what Jesus is talking about, that they are told that something better is coming. You just have to wait a little longer. You just have to sacrifice something right now and not eat the candy. And unfortunately, most people don't want to translate this same truth to their spiritual lives, that they go through the motions and are not willing to give up anything in order to follow Jesus. But Jesus is really clear all throughout um, the New Testament, especially that following him comes at a cost. And Francis Chan has this amazing object lesson that I have been thinking a lot about in the last number of weeks where he has this long piece of string and it would wrap around the room that I'm in, the room that you're in. It is an endless piece of string. And he holds up this piece about this big that's colored red. And what he says is this colored part, the red part, represents your time here on earth and the rest of the white string is eternity. And his point here is that our time on earth here is so short in comparison to the eternity that we will get to live. And he encourages believers to understand that what we do here on earth matters. That this little sacrifice, the sacrifices you have to make day to day here will have endless eternal payoff. And so if we're going to compare that to what Jesus is saying, that if you don't make sacrifices here, if your Christianity, your faith, following Jesus doesn't cost you anything, then all the rest of that string leads to destruction. But if you are willing to walk the narrow, difficult road to go against the grain, to not do what everyone else is doing, that there is a life of eternity waiting for you. And so things may be difficult here, but our time is precious and is meant to be lived out for him. That the sacrifices, like I said, that we made here have great future payoff that we can look forward to. And Paul actually reminds us of this truth in Romans 8, 18, where he says this, for I consider that the present, that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It may be hard now, And the narrow road may be difficult to stay on, especially in the time that we are living in with cancel culture, with so many things going on around us, but better is coming and it is so worth it. So that brings us to our third and final point of consideration this morning, that we are not just citizens of this world. And that is good news. That just like Francis Chan invited us to consider the magnitude of eternity compared to this little piece of red string that he holds, that we look forward to this new life. We as followers of Jesus have to also be keenly aware that this earthly life that we live is not our final destination. It is not our final home. And theologian Kristen D. Johnson, she writes as Christians, our primary allegiance is to the heavenly city and not to the earthly city in which we live. In the earthly city, We are pilgrims who are never fully at home because our ultimate destination is the heavenly city. She goes on to say that we can't expect then that this world around us is going to embody the character of God, that we are going to be the minority sometimes, that when we look around, people are not going to be following what the Bible tells us to do. And so our hope is that here, where we live right now is not heaven yet, that we have a heaven coming, that we can put our hope in Christ who lives and reigns over all of our earthly realities 
and who will come again to fully usher us back into his kingdom. I hope that gets you excited this morning. It gets me excited as well. But Philippians 3.20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await our savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That this is not our final home. It is not where it ends, but it's actually where it begins. That everything that we do here on earth matters and it will affect what our eternity looks like. And so while we have time here on earth, we want to keep our eyes focused on him. We want to walk this narrow path knowing that we are looking forward to a city that is to come. Now, John writes in his first epistle in chapter two, starting in verse 15, he says, do not love the world or the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, then he lists the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions is not from the father, but is from the world. And then he reminds us, he kind of sums it all up with this. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God will abide forever. Now you might read that and think that he's using a lot of exaggerations, which he is. He really wants to get the point across that our eyes cannot be set on what the, on the world around us to which we live because all of it will fade away. And it's not of God anyway, that it's temporary, that it is not eternal, that it will at some point fade away. And so we want to strive and set our eyes on Jesus and strive to live like he did, which was often unpopular. And if we do that, then we will abide forever. And so when you're given the choice of the wide and easy date versus the narrow and the difficult date, we have to remember where each one leads us. That the wide date might be attractive and easy, that everyone else is doing it. And it might look great now, but it leads to destruction. And this narrow date that Jesus is saying comes at a cost is so worth it as it leads to life. And so we cannot walk on two different roads going in two different directions at the same time. It's either Jesus, and as I've heard said before, or any other way. Jesus or any other way. And so every single day, including the one we're in right now and tomorrow when you wake up, we face dozens of choices streaming at us in which way we're going to go down. You're going to be at work and maybe you, there's an opportunity to cut some corners or to agree with your boss when he's talking poorly about somebody else. And the question there is, which path are you going to choose? You will get your paycheck at some point and you can choose to go on an online binge shopping spree or you can steward it well, save parts of it, be generous with others. And it again leads us to the question, which path are you going to take? When you're arguing with your sibling or a parent or a friend and you have that perfect comeback right at the end, end of your tongue, which way are you going to choose? When someone offends you and cuts you off, while you're driving, which way are you going to choose? C.S. Lewis writes that every time you make a choice, you're turning the central part of you, the part that is making all of these choices into something different than it was before. And you're taking your life as a whole with the innumerable amount of choices that we have. All of your life, you are slowly turning this central part of you into either a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature that every choice that we make leads us down a path. 
And we want to be intentional of following the narrow one, the one of Jesus. And so life is a series of choices, as I just said. And Jesus here challenges us and me this morning to choose the most fulfilling one. The way that leaves popularity and compromise behind, that comes at a cost, but has eternity and life in its truest sense in mind. And so let's pray this morning. Lord, I'm just so thankful for your word and the chance that we have as followers of you, God, to learn from it. God, to be challenged that, God, it it sharpens us as we wake up every day and we choose which path we're going to walk on. God, the society that we're living in, this canceled culture wants us to walk with them in this attractive and easy road that doesn't cost anything, that is full of tolerance. God, that is, that is just open for anyone to be a part of. But God, you invite us into the narrow and sometimes difficult path, God, that goes against the grain, that is difficult, but leads to this life everlasting that we can have with you. And so God, for all of my friends this morning, for me included, God, Tomorrow, as we wake up, as we face the decisions of this week, God, would you help us to choose the path that you called us to? That as your church, we would choose to go against the grain when it's necessary, knowing that there is eternal benefit and payoff to that. And so we thank you, Lord, for who you are. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.